Hello, welcome to the World Cafe Podcast. This podcast has been designed with curated content that centers on the power of words. Can we really do anything without speaking? Can we really do anything without the agency of words? Yes, that is what this podcast is all about. And I am your host, Amakri Isobwe, your neighborhood word trader. I believe in the power of words, for it is the unit of creation. I trade in words to profit my world. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good everything. Wherever you are listening to me on the planet called Earth, how are you all doing? Yes, beautiful. We're back in this space. Mm, you know, you know, you know this beautiful ah uh, space. This is where we come to lean on one another's experience and forge a positive path. I am happy being here with you again. Yes, this is our second episode on season two after our 100th episode. Yes, so we're back. Today, I have an amazing, 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 amazing personality on the show. Yes, you're seeing it on the screen already. We're going to be talking about leading from the heart with Mark C. Crowley. Now, Mark Crowley, he has an amazing story, an amazing background. But what really stuck to me, apart from what we're going to be talking today, is when I looked at his profile, He's a podcaster like me, and his podcast is in 156 countries, yes, and he has taught in nine universities. What is crying out there? Experience. Yes, he has seen it all within that space. Mm, he's on the show with us today. I know you want to see him like I want to see him too. And where is he? And there he is. <laughs> Hi, Mark. <laughs> Hi, I'm McCree. Um, I wish you had more energy. I'm just kidding. You're like the most energetic host I've ever had, ever. So Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. So how, how are you? What's it like at your end? Well, hello from California and the United States. Um, and things are good here. So thank you for asking. How about with you? Very well. Very well from Nigeria, Abuja here. Uh, we're, we're in that period of the year when it's pretty sunny and hot you know temperatures mm. can go as high as uh, 40 and what have you as in where i am i mean in abuja you know at this particular time in the year but uh just about that we're good we're good so you know i, I guess you heard the introduction and I, I was telling my guest as in i mean my audience i beg your pardon about mark but i would like <laughs> to i'd like you to tell us who is maxi crowley Let, let's meet mark for the first time well, okay, so, so I, I'll give you the, in America, there's a, a, a magazine. I don't even think it exists anymore, but what they, it was called Reader's Digest, and they would just take a quick summary of a book, and people could read it in five seconds and think they read the book. So my book story is that I spent about 25 years in financial services. So kind of an aggressive world, typically, right? Mm -hmm. Especially yeah. in terms of people are competing with each other for career growth and so forth. And mm -hmm. in that time, uh, I managed people very, very differently. And what I came to realize in the process, Amakri, was that yeah. we can get into this, but 
my upbringing had an enormous impact on influencing how I'd go on to manage. And I ended up writing a book called Lead from the Heart, which for all intents and purposes, describes what is a philosophy about leadership that just completely tosses away traditional leadership theory. So particularly mm. in major corporations and, and really traditional thinking about leadership is that the only way that we can get somebody to work hard is to oppress them. So we're going to pay them as little as possible. We're going to squeeze as much out of them as possible. And we're going to manage them with fear and lose this job. And so mm. we're creating this hostility in the employer to be relationship right out of like, right out, right day one. Like, And so what I found was that by caring about people, by genuinely valuing them, making them feel that they matter, helping them to grow, deeply appreciate them, and actually making them feel safe so that they don't go home on Friday night wondering, is Mark like me? Am I going to be able to keep my job? That People fantasize a lot about how do I stand? Am I going to be okay? And so I just did all those things. And what I found is that not only did people thrive and not only did people want to work for me. So I had a people be the path to come to work for me. So I always attracted really talented, highly motivated people. And it was because I was mm. giving them everything that they needed as a human being. And so the I'm on a mission with this book. Mm. Uh, and with the whole idea of leading from the heart, what I'm fundamentally trying to say is that our old ideas of leadership are worn out. We have no report card that demonstrates that the way we've managed people historically is effective. Like there's just simply no evidence that it works, but we just keep doing it nevertheless because it's all we know. The yeah. opposite is if you care about people, which is what we've always believed you shouldn't do, needn't do, mm -hmm. You're affecting people here, biologically, mm -hmm. in their heart. And feelings and emotions drive human behavior. We think we're rational beings, but everything happens here first. Everything mm -hmm. happens from a feeling and emotional standpoint. And so if you understand that, and you understand that feelings are influencing how people are engaged and whether or not they're happy at work, how you make people feel is really the most important aspect of leadership. And Amazing. so I'll stop there and see if that gets things going. <laughs> Look, I, I got your book, a literally copy of your book, that is, and uh, started reading it. But the beginning part of it, I just got stuck. Like your story about with your experience with your dad, how vulnerable you were, you know, explaining and how that drove you into where you are today in terms of leading from the heart can, can you can you i mean share with us what that meant to you and how it brought you to this point in time so it's it's a it's a very good question and it's a very good follow-up question to what we were just talking about i um it's interesting i my my dad was 51 years old when i was born and he had already achieved a very high level of career success financially was well to do um, but my mom died when i was nine 
And what I came to realize in looking back, and particularly in writing the preface that you were describing, was that my mom really insulated me from my father up until the time that she had died. But from that point forward, I was raised by my father, and I, and even to this day, don't fully understand it. But his motivation was unlike any other father that you could imagine. Like his motivation was to harm me, to cripple me, to undermine my self-esteem, my sense of well-being, my optimism about my future, about my own abilities. And you yeah. just imagine having a father that doesn't believe anything about you, doesn't feel good about you, doesn't see a bright future for you. So start there. But on top of that, he would come home from work and he would just scream at me. And he was often, you know, he'd had a couple of drinks on the train on the ride home and he'd drink more at home. Mm. And so it just became, a, a, I was a, a punching bag for him for my entire childhood. And mm. so after doing a very good job of undermining my sense of self and my belief in myself and my self-confidence, he chose to surprise me and he kicked me out of the house a couple of days Whoa. after I graduated from high school. So I'm 18 years old. I'm thinking I'm going to go to college. And he not only said, you need to move out, but he offered nothing. So there was no financial support, no help for going to college, no coming home for holidays, you know, Christmas or, you know, birthdays. I saw him just a few times before he died 15 years later. And what he propelled in to me to do, Amakri, was, you know, he, he kicked me out with nothing. And I, you know, I, I worried many, many days, how am I even going to survive? At this point, I didn't even have a job and I'm trying to go to school. And it's interesting because he told me that I would never amount to anything, that I was going to be a big failure. And so I always believed that I needed to go to college to refute that. So if I didn't graduate, I would have been the abject failure that he promised me I would be. And if I did graduate, mm -hmm. then I won the arm wrestle. Like I'm, I, I'm not the person you tried to tell me I was all these years. So it was a yeah. binary. Well, if you kick me out of the house with no money and no support, and no job and no food, nothing and no tuition, you've kind of made it really hard for me to accomplish that. But I did. And it, I don't know why they let me stay in college for the first year or so, because I basically, you know, I just couldn't perform. Mm. But I got a rhythm, I got a job, and I just started working and studying, working and studying, working and studying, and I graduated. And when I started managing people, I started to think about, like, the people that were graduating with me were going on to graduate schools, and they had high hopes for their careers. And I was looking at graduation as if, somehow I magically survived something like, like I didn't, I still didn't mm. feel like I deserved it. I earned it. Mm. And, and I'm looking at these people and I'm thinking, why are they so more confident about where they're going in life? Like, why are they using their degree as a, as a stepping stone where I'm feeling God, you know, by the grace of God, I've got a degree here and I'm so lucky because I'm this loser that I was always told I was. And I started looking and I realized yeah. the people around me had parents who loved them, cared about them, supported them, thoughtfully directed them, appreciated them, made them feel safe. And mm. so when I started managing people, I didn't do this consciously. 
but I just had this, I think I had this dream in my mind or a fantasy in my mind that if I gave people who work for me everything that I always wanted and never got, could I make them infinitely more successful and productive? Could I do, so in other words, I never got it, but if I give it to them, what will happen? And of course, people went on to thrive in some of the most extraordinary ways and my everything that I was managing was successful. I didn't know why. I just took it for granted that, you know, everybody manages this way, this is the way it all works and I'm having a success, so why question it? And I was in my 40s, early 40s, when somebody who had been working for me for almost 20 years said, you realize you manage people very differently, don't you? And when she started to pin down how I manage people in relationship to my peers and people that she'd ever worked for, it was only then that I realized, oh my God, I had been managing people in response to how I was raised. And what a miracle this is. And that has led me down to refining my understanding of it, but ultimately writing a book that proves that this is universal. This is people all over the world, man, female, it doesn't matter your age, it doesn't matter your education, it doesn't matter what job you're doing, human beings respond to this. Hmm. I'll stop there. Yeah, now listening to you, it, it tells me you've gone through a lot, you know, and somehow you've come to discover what I call it the heart principle of leadership, like you approach leadership from the heart, more or less bringing yourself to the level of the people, not necessarily uh, uh, dragging yourself down, but understanding with them. And that's okay. If I make this available, if I do this, if I do this in a positive sense, will it propel this person forward in doing the best? That is what you have discovered from what I'm hearing. Now the question is, I know you've, from your experience and uh, relationship and all that, you've come across a lot of leaders and all that. How has it been for you trying to, would I say, market this philosophy or sell this idea to your peers at that level, the C-suite and all that? Are, Are they welcoming it? Are they embracing it? So it's such a fantastic question. And so let's start with the fact that I wrote the book in 2011 and, and just entirely rewrote the book. So the book that you've written, you've read is almost twice as long and it's filled with a preponderance of new data that makes the whole thesis irrefutable. Like there's simply mm-hmm. no, nothing anyone can say to me anymore to say, well, that won't work here or that's crazy or you won't get people to perform all the kinds of things that people just instinctively think. But, um, you know, when it came out in 2011, I had no background, no platform, nobody knew who I was. And so I hired a uh, marketing strategist, paid her a lot of money to help me figure out how to build a brand, how to build a social media presence. And Mm. instead of doing any of that, what she told me in 2011 was, and I'm not going to use her language, but your, your listeners will be able to fill it in. She yeah. said, like, I want to give you my best advice. And my best advice is you're going to effing fail if you continue to use the expression <laughs> lead from the heart. So what she was trying to tell me was, is that the world isn't or wasn't ready for it at the time. And in many respects, she was right. Because we hear heart and we just immediately think, oh, he's got to be a spiritualist or a nut. Mm. He doesn't get business. And so it's important for your listeners to know that 
I'm also not just the heart leader, but I'm a demanding leader. My belief is if I'm going to support people in such a deep and profound way, then people are set up for optimal performance. So let's do something great. So my teams yeah. were always setting records and doing extraordinary things because I was expecting them to do more because they were getting more. And who do, who wants to be average, right? So, but yeah. what happened was educators. So colleges came to me and said, "You're what you're talking about is it has to be the future of leadership. Like this has to be." So one university picked it up and then another university and so now you said nine actually last week another university just picked it up in america so 10 colleges 10 10 and so that's what kept me going was okay somebody is seeing the truth in this and they're teaching people that are growing into leadership roles so i'm very happy about that but it's mm. people my age and people that have been in managing for a long time saying well why would i want to change i've been successful we don't need to change how we lead so that's been the resistance but the big issue and what you know has is changing consciousness in my opinion yeah is, is the two year pandemic because people had plenty of time amakri to think about am i happy Their with lives. my Am I happy exactly. at my company? Does my my boss care about me? And in America, like 75 million people quit their jobs since January of 2021. And you look at that and you go, "This that's a big disruption. Why would you quit that's your job?" Big, the big You're, disruption there. People are unhappy with the way they're managed and they're like, "I got to go somewhere else. I got to go do something else." And that is the difference between 2011 and 2022. is that people are now like I don't want to work for a manager that doesn't care about me that doesn't support me mm. doesn't advocate for me. So I always believed that the world would come to me. I just never imagined that it would be a global pandemic that was going to make it happen. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. I I can you know just just looking at it from 2011 it's like it's been brewing. I mean it's been brewing like a fine wine and when it got to the pandemic boom it's like that conviction that thing said that is it this is what i've been talking about and somehow we we i mean the corporate space is becoming more should i say adaptable to this now my next question is this why is it very difficult for us or i mean the c suits the good number of the c suits now difficult to embrace this thing called change with respect to leading from the heart why is it that difficult um it's 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 a it's a big question and there's a lot of reasons for it um you use the word change so humans ultimately we're going to be forced into change right you know, <laughs> you're right it's the way the universe works we're going to have to adapt but yes. but by hook or by crook we're going to resist it as long as we possibly can that's human True. nature So when you think about how we've traditionally managed people in our workplaces it goes back so long so that it's so deeply embedded like even as employees we kind of think well I'm going to have to really suffer to go to work every day like that that's mm. the deal I get a paycheck and I get to suffer you know mm. and yeah. so so when somebody comes along like me and says hey actually if you if you support human thriving 
and, you know, I mean, literally support human thriving in a way that biologically, physically, anatomically leads people to feeling superpowers. You know, I'm ready to go. I'm excited about this work. I'm excited about what we're going to be doing. Then um, you're going to get this extraordinary productivity. That's a hard sell for people because the belief, mm-hmm. wait a minute, you're saying, be kind to people. You're saying, you know, be supportive of people. No, we need to oppress people. I mean, look what Elon Musk is doing in his company right now. He comes in and he buys the company and he sends out midnight emails and he tells people, mm. if you're not willing to work 24 seven, then quit. I mean, this is like, you know, he just spent $44 billion and, and comes in and starts managing people with, you know, with a gun, like, you know, my way or the highway kind of a thing. And so a lot of people think, well, he's Elon Musk, so he can get away with this. I happen to believe he's not gonna get away with this. I think people Mm. have shifted. I think people just aren't willing to accept this anymore. And if you don't honor the person and don't honor the fact that they have a life outside of work, and Mm. again, if you just show people that you care about them, it doesn't mean that you roll over and play dead and let them just, you know, play solitaire all day long. That's not what I'm talking yeah. about. What I'm talking mm-hmm. about is helping people to thrive personally as a yeah. means of helping them to do great work. And yeah. so the final piece of the Samakri is just the word heart. Um, this woman that told me that I was going to effing fail, what she told me was never use the expression lead from the heart again. And (laughs) so I had a moment to make this decision and, you know, it's like a fork in the road and I had to make a decision. Am I going to forfeit that? But what I believe is and what science is now showing is that the heart and the mind, the heart and the mind are in constant communication with the heart sending more communication to the brain than the other way around. The inference mm-hmm. is, is that we're having this conversation and yep. you're having a feeling inside. And the feeling is, I like this person. I'm enjoying this conversation. So your mind yeah. says, going, let's have this. Or you're saying, I don't like this person. It doesn't start here. It starts here. And so if our feelings are motivating our behavior, then we should be completely readjusting how we lead. But you pitch that to somebody who's a 60-year-old CEO and they're saying, well, I got to the top of the company by being somebody totally different. And they're Mm. afraid that if we care about people that they're going to get soft around the middle and they're not going to perform and they're going to get fired because shareholders are going to get mad because they were too kind and nice to people. And that's the fantasy. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying support people in a way and still set high expectations. And when you value people and truly authentically support them, they will produce extraordinarily. You'll actually get better performance on every possible level. What I hear you say here is people care when you care. As in, they sh- they turn around, they listen to you when they know that he cares, he or she cares. Like, they really care for my good, for my success. So more or less now, being part of the organization, I mean, I, I have a future because this organization cares about me. So it's not just about work, work, work. It also looks at my my progress as in my development and my becoming a better person. That's what I hear you say. I was listening to uh, Peritim's, a big name within the HR industry too, as in 
I think it's in the UK. Yes, it's in the UK. And he was saying something about exactly what you just said now, but he didn't use the word heart. But rather now, painting the picture of an individual who works on an organization, he has his own, should I say, dreams, aspirations, and all that. The organization also has that. But there is this intersection of desires, and the organization is concerned about his desires and investing in him, showing that concern. And he he or she now, in turn, returns that favor. But it's like sowing a seed. You know, when you sow a seed, it doesn't come back in piecemeal. You sowed one grain. It comes back multiplying in thousands. You know, that was the kind of picture he painted, pointing to what exact. I mean, what you just exactly uh, wrote in your book about leading from the heart. And honestly, from where I stand, I see that going forward for any organization globally, after what had happened in 2020, the pandemic, we just have to revisit our style of leadership. We need to in the corporate space. And seeing your work leading from the heart caught it for me. It did, absolutely. Oh, guys, we've been discussing with Mark Crowley, uh, leading or lead from the heart. You agree with me. He has this amazing perspective to leadership and it is what we need to embrace. Mark, thank you so much. I'm going to ask you this question. Would I say second to the last question? Because I know you have you, 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 you have your hands I mean, full of so many things and I need to let you go to catch up with them. Now you, you have 10 colleges doing, I mean, using your material in the U.S. What's your plan outside the U.S. in getting this, should I say, concept maybe in Africa... Asia, uh, South America, and the likes. What's the plan? Well, yeah, it's interesting because somebody um, went on LinkedIn just yesterday and said, this guy's book is being taught in 10 American universities. And what's wrong with the rest of us? Where's Europe? Where's Australia? Where's Africa? Right? I'm not kidding. So you're asking a really great question. And I think it goes to the trajectory of... Um, so let's let's say that you are a a kid, you're a young you're a young boy, and you see all the kids around you, and they're taller than you, mm. and you go, huh, you know, I want to be tall, and you don't see your growth, and all you see is the tall you know the tall kids, and you keep saying, I want to get tall, I want to get tall, but then you get to be 35 years old, and you realize you look around and you're like. Everybody, I'm taller than everybody now, right? And, right. But in the time when you feel like you're not growing, there's pain in there involved with that. You know, it's like yeah. I'm a shorty, yeah. I'm a shrimp, I'm not going to ever grow, yeah. and all. And this is the journey that I've been on. Is this sometimes where it's just doubt? Like I know I'm speaking truth. I know I have the answer. Like it, there's no question. But, and so when people resist this, I'm agreeing, or just dismiss it, or just don't even take it seriously, it's been painful for me because, like, I want to be tall, you know? And mm-hmm. but now we're 11 years later, we're having this conversation. You and I, across the world, are having this conversation. Yes. 
This is an idea cool. that's resonating in Nigeria when it didn't resonate anywhere in major businesses 11 years ago, 10 years ago, nine years ago. So I'm getting taller. Is the, uh, mm. I'm not getting taller. The message is getting taller. And as the mm-hmm. message gets taller, it's going to be more recognized. So I am now further along in the journey to believe that it's just a matter of time. It's not a matter of anything that I need to do or you need to do. It's mm-hmm. like the world is going to embrace this. And here's my answer why. We have always believed in business. I'm the business owner or I'm the manager. I'm I get to co- I get to control everything. I get to I get to yeah. tell you what you're paying. I tell you when to show you. It's reverse. We're in this point now where people are saying, I don't want to work for somebody that doesn't care about me. I don't want to work for a company that's going to exploit me any longer. So it's forcing from the bottom up leaders to take a new look at this. And I think, you know, Mm. the benefit for me is I've been talking about it for a dozen years. I'm not just jumping in with something new saying, hey, try this, try this. Maybe this will work like this. I have the answer. And I think as more organizations take a look at this and realize, wow, like this actually works, then you're yeah. you're going to see an explosion of acceptance around the world. That's my belief. Beautiful. Beautiful. And, and you, you rightly put it, it's like, it's all about time. There's nothing extra to be done. Just keep doing what you're doing. And it's all about time. And when the time is right, it just blows or rather it blossoms as in and we all see it and it's like wow that is what we need thank you so much mac thank you now how do you unwind because you 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 look pretty busy as in pretty busy how do you unwind in the midst of all of this i um i live near the ocean and i wake up i wake up at 4:30 every morning and by 5 you o'clock don't say. I'm on the beach in the dark by myself and I walk for an hour every single day. And there's just something about being the only one on the beach in the dark with the stars, sometimes the moon, you know, glowing, Mm -hmm. the ocean Mm -hmm. sound. It's, um, it's just a joyful spiritual way for me to begin my day. And if I don't get it Mm -hmm. because something's happening or I'm traveling, I, it's like something's missing. So it's, I, this is just something that has found, you know, ever since COVID, you know, I used to go to the gym mm. in, in the morning and there'd be bright lights and pounding music. And what I found is just having that quiet hour to myself just sets me up for success for the rest of the day. So even if I'm working long hours, which is generally the case most days, mm. if I have that, I feel centered for the rest of the rest of the day. So um, that's my big joy spot right there. Beautiful, beautiful. One last question before I let you go. I said two, but I, I need to throw in this uh, one. <laughs> you are a father. You, you are a father, if not a grandfather now. Correct me if I'm wrong. Correct. I'm both. Beautiful. Now, what's your advice to fathers? Because we're leaving this dispensation, this time where the role of fathers would I say is becoming more, more needed than ever. What's your, from where you stand, from the heart, what's your advice? 
Um, you know, it's interesting because I'm sort of the beneficiary of a corrupt upbringing, right? I mean, I'm the big winner here because of what I've learned, but mm. I also suffered a lot through my life, even today, to this day. There's still things that I remember my father saying that still create pain for me. So in raising my own son, I, I, I most certainly did not want him to have any of that. Um, and he got married a few years ago and I was his best man in his wedding. So that told me. Sorry, I, sorry, sorry, sorry. You were his what? His, his, it's called the best man. So at a <laughs> wedding, you know what that means? Yeah. Um, so beautiful. And so it, it speaks to our relationship, you know, beautiful. it's to, and so my advice is, um, And, and this it's interesting because this is true as adults. We think we outgrow this. But what we've learned is that you and I, as human beings, mm. we, we need a positive ratio of at least four to one positive emotions to negative emotions every single day in order to thrive. And when mm. we don't get that, we get mental illness, we get physical illness, It's true in relationships. If you're married, you and your wife need to have at least four, maybe even five to one. So we think, you know, there's sort of this model that parents need to be strict and dictatorial and, you know, even oppressive in some respects. And mm. what I have found is that children are not yours to own. They're yours to help grow and then let them go like you let a dove go into the sky. And so positivity is the way to go. And you can still have high expectations of your children. You can still expect certain behaviors, but love them. Just love them. Show them how much you love them and create the sense mm -hmm. that no matter what they do, no matter who they become, that you love them. Uh, I Good think, and I'm, by the way, you know, you mentioned this, but my son now has three children and Ooh. I see they adore him he has Amazing. mimicked he has mimicked Amazing. this he is Amazing. that person he is the lead from the heart father and and I didn't ever like sit him down and teach him or he just observed like what worked for him and what made him feel good and he's giving it to his own children and they're beautiful and they're thriving and they're wonderful Amazing. people little kids but you can see just the energy, the souls in these kids that he brings out by the way he, he, he relates to them and how he treats them. And, you know, that's the way to go. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I got that. Children are not yours to own. They are yours to grow. I got that. I got that. Guys, we've been discussing. I got it. I got it. We've been discussing with Max C. Crowley as in the author of Lead from the Heart. You will agree with me. We've, we've been having an amazing time. You know, the, 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 the idea of leading from the heart, which before now, the corporate world has seen as weakness. But we've come to see that that is where the strength lies. You know, that which we have you know for now called uh, something weak it is what is changing the i mean industry the face of the workspace and all that oh i wish i can keep him here but you know you know he's busy but i know when we call upon him again 
he would <laughs> oblige us that opportunity to share more. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Guys, we need to let him go now, but you know how we do it on the show. This is where we come to, you know, lean on one another's experience to forge a positive path. Till I come your way again, it is. Bye for now. Mac, what do you have to say? You are the best, Amakri. You are just the joyful, full energy person. I just love being with you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye for now. Awesome time. It has been with you on the World Cafe podcast today. Thank you for being there. You can catch me up on my social media handles, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, or at Amakri Isoboye. Also, you can get copies of my books, A Cocktail of Words, The Color of Words, and my HR Notebook on Amazon and on Robin Heights Online Bookstores. You can also subscribe to my YouTube page at the same address. Yes, till we see you again. Bye for now.